From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, who is taking some well-deserved vacation before summer ends. He will return on the Tuesday after Labor Day. Website is TonyPerkins.com. Also want to remind you to be part of the Prevote Stand Summit September 14th through the 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. Go to PrevoteStand.org slash summit for all the details and to register. Today on the program, great progress in the Palmetto State on some important pro-life legislation. The sponsor of that bill will join us with an update on what's happening there. Also, a Kansas teacher that was disciplined for refusing to use preferred pronouns just won a $95,000 settlement with the school district. We'll give you those details of that happy story as well. And later in the show, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson has moved from a factory floor to the Lieutenant Governor's office. He'll join us later to tell us a little bit of his remarkable story. First, the headlines, though. President Biden will address the nation tonight from Philadelphia with a speech on, quote, the continued battle for the soul of the nation, end quote. The president is expected to continue making the case that people who don't support his political agenda are a threat to democracy. Now, in anticipation, Republican House leader Kevin McCarthy said this earlier today. The problem with Joe Biden is he does not understand the soul of America, the tens of millions of hardworking, law-abiding citizens that he vilifies that simply want to have a say in their kids' education, to go to a school board meeting, want a gasoline price that they can afford, no longer wants inflation to continue to rise, afraid to go out in the streets to be safe again. They want a stronger, safer, more prosperous America, and all he does is vilify them to distract from the disasters and no plan he has to save America from where we are today. So who is right about what the soul of America is? And what else can we expect from the president tonight? Joining me now to discuss this, as well as what he saw in a recent trip to the southern border, is U.S. Representative Andy Biggs. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee, the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. He represents Arizona's 5th District. Congressman Biggs, good to see you today. Good to be with you, Joseph. So President Biden ran on a platform of trying to unite the country. Do you feel like he's fulfilling that promise with the speech that he's expected to give tonight? Uh, not intentionally. I think he's uniting the country uh, that we're going in the wrong direction. I think more and more people every day say, wait a second, things aren't uh, copacetic. This is not what we uh, intended. That's not what we think. But in reality, this president has been, quite frankly, the most divisive uh, president in, in my in my lifetime. I mean, we, we've really moved to, to the edges because of his intransigence and his failure to recognize who we are as Americans, and to recognize individual liberty, individual choice, uh, individual accountability, and individual prosperity. That's, that's where some of his biggest failings have been. Now, the White House says that this speech is about the continued battle for the soul of the nation. What do you think he means by that? Well, when I hear him talk about it, he means anybody that opposes him uh, is a danger and threat. That's what he has said. That's what autocrats do. That's what uh, petty tyrants do. Uh, that's what leaders of the former Soviet Union or Xi Jinping in China do. And it dehumanizes anyone who is uh, antithetical to his point of view. I, I think when he says it, he means you do not uh, have the soul of the nation. You don't understand the soul of the nation unless you're doing what Joe Biden wants you to do. And that's what's extremely dangerous about uh, the, the president today. I think a lot of people agree with you. In fact, uh, former presidential speech writer Mark Thiessen, he wrote a great op-ed in the Washington Post today talking about how unusual this speech is. And he was a presidential speech writer. And in this article, he goes through the history of primetime addresses. And he notes that presidents have used these to talk about 9-11, hurricanes, the war in Afghanistan, uh, financial crisis, other terror, terror attacks, economic programs. But this appears to be the first time the president has asked the press to cancel their primetime programming so he can do what appears to be a speech to essentially say that his political opponents are bad people. Now, we haven't heard this speech yet, 
But does the timing and the even his advanced framing of this strike you as a bit unusual compared to other primetime addresses from the White House? Yeah, it's it's really different. I mean, I remember when uh, President Reagan came on and and every time he did, they were incredibly important issues, everything from the uh, the Soviet Union and addressing issues during the Cold War. I remember even Jimmy Carter when he was president coming on talking about the energy crisis. And while I disagreed with what he said, and I was a young man at the time, uh, you looked at it and said, okay, well, this is a serious thing, what's going on, because we were living it. But what's happening here is the timing of this right before the midterm elections. The timing of this is, is pretty questionable. And then the topic itself to basically uh, dehumanize, and that make no mistake, that's what he's trying to do, dehumanize anyone who disagrees or takes a heterodox position, uh, position compared to him, uh, they're, they're going to be demonized. I mean, it's consistent with what he's been saying lately, where he talked about using F-15s on, on Americans who have guns and, and uh, basically said that we're, you're a pseudo-fascist if you don't adhere to his plan. That is dangerous rhetoric coming from this president. And quite frankly, if the previous occupant of the White House had said anything like that, it would have been he would have been castigated and yelled and screamed at, and we're not hearing much from the uh, the, le- uh, the left wing media today. Now, later in the program, in our conversation with uh, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, we're going to play several clips from President Biden that essentially support uh, that statement that you're making there. But we haven't heard the clip. Um, I I and it sounds like you also are skeptical about what we're going to get. We haven't heard the speech, I should say, uh, and we should give it some time. But, of course, tomorrow we will have uh, the opportunity to respond to what he does say. But the early indications about this are are concerning, to say the least. Now, you also were at the border recently, and I want to play. The, the White House press secretary said that they're actually doing, uh, this is Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, she said they're actually doing a really good job at the border right now. Let's play clip 12. The fact that we are, uh, you know, we are securing the border, uh, the fact that we are securing record levels of funding uh, from DHS so they can stop illicit drugs from entering into the country, the, the fact that uh, it's not just drug traffickers that we're dealing with as well, we're stopping stopping financiers. This is what's happening with this under this administration. Congressman Biggs, how does her statement there compare to what you've seen at the border recently? I, I just think to myself, she must be living in La La Land. I mean, this is this is the type of rhetoric you would read in a dystopian novel like 1984, Brave New World. The, she is just nothing she said there is accurate. It's 180 degrees away from the truth. Um, so you you she says we're stopping more drugs. Well, you're stopping more drugs, but you're still only getting eight to ten percent. That's according to CBP officials. So. Uh, it's a total disaster on the border. I uh, haven't been there just uh, just a couple of days ago. And I can tell you, uh, Joseph, in, in a facility in Yuma, Arizona, designed for 1,200, there were 2,300 people. And most of those people, uh, not about 90% of those people will be released into the country within just a few days. We're, un- we, we're understaffed. Uh, they're not building the, the wall. Their policies have caused this problem, and it is a crisis. And I've invited her to come on down to the border with me so I could show her uh, what's really happening down there. And she's, uh, uh, we'll see if she takes me up on that. Well, that would be uh, helpful because there does seem to be a disconnect between what uh, those who are visiting the border, like yourself, have seen and what we're seeing in the official statements from the White House. But also, while you were at the border there, uh, you said you saw a Russian a, fa- a Russian family was apprehended. Do you think that people worldwide have figured out that the way to get into the country any way, at any time you want is through the southern border? Oh, ab- absolutely. Look, um, some estimates place it about 4.6 million people. But so you don't come to the port of entry. You come th- across the southern border. And um, this was a Russian family. And by the way, Joseph, when we were there, I didn't think we'd see anybody because uh, just the calendar, the itinerary took us there. It's 116 degrees in Yuma. And guess what? There there was, uh, there they were, this family from Russia. And most of the traffic's between midnight and 8 in the morning. And they're getting a 1,000 a day in Yuma, just walking across, contrary to what the White House says. So 
Yeah, I, I, the whole world knows it's it's over 100 different nations that have come through Yuma. And last year was 157 different nations that came through. It, it, what you're seeing is a, 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 a diaspora from other nations and a migration into the United States like we probably have never seen in the history of the world. And uh, for, the, for the White House to, to not even get that, they don't even know it, don't acknowledge it, they ignore it, in fact, say the exact opposite uh, and lie about it, it shows me that it's willful. Well, for those watching at TonyPerkins.com or at NRB TV, uh, we just played some clips of you at the border, and you happen to be standing in front of a border wall. It appears that there's some security there. Is that not consistent along the border? Not consistent at all. In fact, what you saw me standing in front of there were the containers uh, uh, that Governor Ducey uh, put up there just uh, a week or so ago. And they're what they're working for because they're they're actually funneling people down because two miles further south uh, is a wide open space with no no fencing other than Normandy fencing, which is designed for vehicles, not people. So you go down there and what you're going to see is all those people are coming across. So where I'm standing there, uh, that's in front of the Morellis Dam. That's where where it slows it down. But you still get a thousand people a day, mostly from that open area. So you just redirect everybody down to that open area, which is helpful um, for, uh, makes it easier for everybody to uh, surrender, makes it easier for us to apprehend. Uh, But the reality is uh, you have 119 miles of border in that sector alone, but you have lots of gaps and an entire seven mile gap in that area where that's where most people are coming through. Congressman Biggs, one other topic I'd like to get with you on the topic of education. National test results were released today. Uh, They were discouraging on the heels of COVID uh, with math for nine-year-olds. Their average point, their average test scores declined five points in reading and seven points in math. This was the largest average score decline in reading since 1990 and the first ever score decline in mathematics, according to this one test. Uh, What are we learning from this? Well, we learned that the school lockdowns had an incredibly detrimental effect on young students. And um, particularized within that study, it also shows that uh, certain demographic groups were even harmed more, where they had double-digit reduction in uh, competency. So this goes with what myself and so many people were saying at the beginning. You will have secondary and tertiary impacts on individuals with lockdowns, whether it be uh, the lockdown of a city, a state, or in this case, so many schools that locked down. They didn't, and you'll find out that, that so many of these students logged in once or never even logged in. They weren't getting their education. And uh, it's going to be very, very hard to catch up for some of these kids. And that is the challenge in front of us now. Can we recover? It's one thing to admit your mistakes, even if we have done that, but it's another to uh, be able to make up for them. Congressman Diggs, thanks for stopping by today. Thanks, Joseph. Take care. Coming up. We've seen some challenges on the life issue, but we also have some successes. One of those is in South Carolina, the Palmetto State. Great progress for a great pro-life bill there. Stay with us and we'll tell you about it right after the break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible.
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. We have some good news from South Carolina where the state House of Representatives on Tuesday approved a bill that outlaws abortion except in the cases of pregnancies resulting from rape or incest. The bill has now one more routine vote before heading to the state Senate. What will this mean if it passes in the Senate, and what are its chances there? Joining me now to discuss it is the representative who moved this bill through the House, South Carolina State Representative John McCravey. Representative McCravey, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, and I'm glad to be, be able to be on. We are glad to have you, and thank you for your leadership on this issue. Give us a little background on uh, where the bill came from and what's happened up to now. Well, of course, we, like many states, um, we we scheduled a special session as soon as the Dobbs decision was finalized. Uh, we, we had a special ad hoc committee that I was the chair of. We've had four hearings. We took this bill. Uh, of course, we, we drafted the bill very carefully. And we took it through the Judiciary Committee, and uh, it made it through the House floor two days ago on second reading and yesterday on third reading. So we are excited about it. Uh, it's the most pro-life bill we've ever had in the state of South Carolina, and advances the pro-life cause. It's a total ban. Uh, we did have uh, a vote. Uh, it was a close vote on no exceptions. We almost had it with no exceptions. Uh, but we lost that vote by four votes. So they put on uh, sexual assault exceptions, and that's the only exception on it uh, as it moves forward to the Senate. So, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a 100% pro-life person, and it would be fine with me if it had no exceptions. But it does certainly take care of the life and health of the mother. That's that's uh, every pro-life bill does that, in my opinion. So, and, uh, and, yeah. I've got and some big features. Yeah, with no exception, even with exceptions, it, of course, covers 99% of, of pregnancies and, and about those, because that is a very controversial part of these pro-life bills, even on the pro-life side. How is that determined or enforced? Can somebody just say they were sexually assaulted and therefore be an exception? Well, in our state, we had already passed the heartbeat bill. I sponsored that to begin with in 2019. And in that bill, exceptions were put on. but they must be reported by the doctor to the sheriff uh, if it's if there's a sexual uh, misconduct, and the woman has to be advised that that will happen. And so uh, that takes care of a lot. You know, of course, we have the morning after pill, which is emergency contraception uh, that takes care of a lot of things. But 
the uh, as as an example, our our heartbeat bill was in effect for seven and a half weeks before our Supreme Court enjoined it uh, a couple of weeks ago to determine whether or not it's constitutional and whether they wanted to look at a a sentence in that bill. But nevertheless, during the time it was in force, uh, we on we had zero uh, uh, abortions for sexual conduct. So. Uh, criminal sexual conduct. So I, I think that shows the the rarity yeah. of those exceptions. I think nationwide is ninety nine point four percent. So it will be less than point seven percent of uh, of all abortions. That is a very high standard. Uh, those who might try to get the rape or incest exception would have to think uh, seriously about that because it has to be uh, reported. I'm sure that was uh, deliberated uh, carefully uh, in the House there. Now, I also understand this bill places expectations on biological fathers as well. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, there was an amendment added, and I did not oppose that amendment. And uh, it's what I call rollback child support. Uh, so, so in addition to your normal child support, if, if, uh, if, if a child is born and you're responsible and the paternity test shows that you are, are the responsible father, then, then, uh, if, if you're not married, of course, but if you're estranged and, and there's, there's no support going on, you're going to be responsible for support retroactive to the date of conception. So I, I don't have any problem with that. Well, nor do I. This really does start uh, with men taking responsibility for uh, their decisions and the results of their decisions, and we hope that will encourage uh, many to do so. But, uh, Representative McCravey, tell us a little bit about the opposition that you saw to this bill so far in the legislature there. Well, you know, we, we expected Democrat opposition. We only had one Democrat that voted for the bill, um, and all the all the other Democrats voted against it. They are not pro-life uh, to a person, and so uh, so that's that was that was expected. Uh, we did not know how many Republicans, however, would be op- either opposed to the bill or opposed or uh, re- wanted exceptions on the bill. Uh, we found out that there were about twenty-three Republicans out of eighty that uh, wanted exceptions on the bill. And when they joined with the Democrats, uh, that was a coalition we could not stop. We were about four votes or eight votes short. Uh, if four people had changed their mind, we could have we could have passed it with no exceptions. So um, we've come a long way in South Carolina toward um, recognizing the rights of the pre-born. Yeah. Um, and I want to say one thing about this bill. There are several things in it that I think other states should look at. We heard from the medical community, and we listed eight different conditions that we're going to say are presumed, if they're present, that could threaten the life of the mother. We listed all these, like ectopic pregnancy, molar pregnancy, miscarriage, uh, preeclampsia, uh, abruptio placentae, all these different uh, uh, uterine rupture, uh, on and on. And this is so there'll be a bright line for doctors to look at. You know, their biggest complaint is, well, we, we're not lawyers. We can't interpret this law. Well, that's something that really comes from the left. I think most doctors can interpret the law correctly. But we didn't want to leave anything for chance, and we wanted to take away all excuses. Uh, so the pro-life medical community, the pro-life OBGYNs had input into this bill. We had uh, pro-life uh, embryologists. We, we preserved IVF except for the uh, selective reduction, which is no longer even, uh, even a, a normal practice anymore. So uh, I, think, I think we really dug into the details on this bill. We spent a lot of time listening and drafting and being very careful with our language so there could be no question uh, to the medical community. Representative John McCravey, we appreciate you doing that, the diligence that you have clearly given to this. We appreciate your time today, and uh, we will continue to uh, cheer for your efforts there in South Carolina. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Coming up, another great story, this one out of Kansas. A Kansas teacher suspended for refusing to use preferred pronouns was vindicated. We'll tell you about it when we come back. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Tony will be back with you on Tuesday. By now, you're aware of the effort to force people to use preferred pronouns, but you may not fully understand what that means in application. Well, just today, Time magazine illustrated the challenges of this brave new world in a tweet. Now, they sent out a tweet that read, quote, Time spoke to genderqueer author and illustrator Maya Kababi on about air work. And they use the word, they insert this word E-I-R, which is apparently a new pronoun, air work. The efforts to restrict access to air writing, E-I-R, and again, I think it's pronounced air, but I really don't know. And what A make of the current cultural moment, A is a word E-Y, which apparently uh, is they without the T-H. End quote. Now that's the tweet. Now, for those of us who read English, this is a very difficult subject sentence to read because it includes made-up words claiming to be pronouns that we're all supposed to act like we understand. Now, this isn't just confusing, but people think the law requires you to speak this way, some people at least. In Kansas, a school district suspended a teacher for refusing to speak this way. The teacher, Pamela Ricard, eventually retired from teaching middle school in Fort Riley, Kansas, but not before facing disciplinary action for her religious beliefs. Now, the teacher insisted that she would treat every student with respect and dignity, but that God assigns gender. Doctors and parents just acknowledge what God did. However, the school district told her she was required to use preferred pronouns with anyone who asked. The teacher sued, and in the latest development, the school district has agreed to settle the case and pay the teacher $95,000 for violating her constitutional rights. Joining me now to discuss this is Caleb Dalton, legal counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, who represented Ricard in this case. Caleb, good to see you today. Joseph, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Well, this is good news. Uh, this personal <clears throat> pronouns thing is, is kind of a, uh, a, a, a personal pet peeve. But what's your reaction to this case? Well, we're grateful for the result. It's a good result not only for Ms. Rickard, but it's a good result for all members of the citizens of the United States, and especially those in Kansas, teachers who want to live according to their faith without being forced to mislead parents and to speak harmful messages to students. Now, the lawsuit states that schools cannot force teachers to promote novel views about gender fluidity and ever-expanding pronoun categories without regard to the First Amendment or due process. 
What big picture freedom of speech and religious liberty ramifications could this victory have? Well, there's two important issues that, in this case. One is the right of the teacher not to be forced to speak a message that violates her conscience, just as a condition for having a job. She was being compelled to personally affirm an ideological belief, and all Americans should oppose that kind of totalitarianism. The other issue was she was being told she has to speak out of both sides of her mouth. The school in this case had a secret set of books where they, they had students' preferred names that they wouldn't show parents. And they would tell teachers, you have to use the name at school in the secret book, but then in the official system that we show parents, you have to use the official name there. And you have to keep it straight. And if you don't, then you're in violation of our policy and could be subject to discipline. That's not only unconstitutional, it's a violation of both parents' rights and the teacher's duty to be forthright and honest with parents. And no school should have a policy like that. We're thankful that the court recognized that in this case and held yeah. that policy was unconstitutional. So it sounds like she was being told by her employer to lie to the parents. Is that a, is that a summary? That's, that's exactly right. She was being told, you have to deceive parents. You have to tell parents when you're talking with them via email and a parent-teacher-student uh, conference. And the judge actually brought that up. How is a teacher supposed to abide by this policy and deceive the parents during a, a, a conference when the student is there? She has to refer to the student by one name and pronoun. And to the, to the parents, she has to use a different name and pronoun. Yeah. How is that even possible in a parent and student-teacher conference? Yeah. It's not. And the judge recognized that, recognized that this policy had yeah. led to both absurd results and also a violation of federal law and the United States Constitution. Yeah, another one of the potentially absurd results I want to explore with you a bit. We're familiar with he, him, she, her pronouns. And typically we think of this as you have to refer to a boy with female pronouns. But in the, in the tweet we opened this segment with from Time Magazine, we see an illustration of the fact that this pronoun creativity is vast. Um, air, I, there's, People are allowed essentially to create their own pronouns from the school's perspective and policies like this that you have seen. Are there any limits to what they were to require a teacher to do in order to comply with someone's pronoun preferences? It's, it's actually interesting you bring that up because we had an evidentiary hearing in front of the court in which we asked the school's staff that very question. What are the limits? We asked, what if a student came up and said, I would prefer to have Zer pronouns. And they said, yes, you'd be required to do that. We asked, what about favor, which is a pronoun I recently learned about, which means not exactly human, more feline. And at that point, the school said, well, maybe we would need to have a discussion with the student about that one. We don't know about that. But in reality, there's no limits. Once you De decouple from reality and biological reality that we can observe and that we know there are really no limits to this type of ideology, which again goes to show why you shouldn't force teachers to be a mouthpiece to express this, to deceive parents, and then also to speak messages that just are not truthful to students as well. That's exactly right. Caleb Dalton, Alliance Defending Freedom, thanks so much for your work on this. We celebrate this victory with you and uh, all the work that you guys do on our behalf. Thanks for being with us today as well. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Mark Robinson's meteoric rise took him from a factory floor to the lieutenant governor's office in North Carolina. He joins us next to talk about his book and life and politics. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. 
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. The website is TonyPerkins.com. After a speech he gave in support of Second Amendment rights before the Greensboro City Council went viral, Mark Robinson was catapulted from life as a factory worker all the way to becoming the first black lieutenant governor of North Carolina. But his story is much more than that, which he chronicles in his first book, We Are the Majority. It's set to come out on September 13th. Tony Perkins is one of the endorsers of that book. But the author is joining me now, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Mr. Lieutenant Governor, thanks for coming by today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, your book is titled We Are the Majority. where did that title come from, and what are you referring to when you say we? Well, uh, originally the book was uh, titled, the manuscript was titled, uh, I Am the Majority, uh, but we, we felt like that was just a little bit too simplistic. Uh, that was the line that I said in the speech uh, that I gave at the Greensboro City Council, but we wanted to be uh, a little more inclusive, so to speak, with this, and a little more expressive yeah. with the title. Uh, we feel like that uh, that I am the majority uh, moniker was uh, sent out for folks who feel like they're part of the law-abiding majority. Uh, it gets up every day, goes to work, works hard, tries to get it right. You know, and it, and it, it just seems like they just continue to get browbeat by their government. And so we changed it to we are the majority because we feel like it's more expressive of the actual sentiment. Now, you really were launched onto a national stage by that speech that you gave. And that was in the context of gun rights. And you were frustrated that every time uh, someone did something terrible with a gun, it seemed that political powers would go after people who don't break the law. But since then, your platform has expanded. Do you still feel that the challenges and the the emotions that you felt that day remain? Uh, Absolutely. We still see it today, Uh, even on a on a, on a worse scale, I mean, uh, you look across the country and you see how criminals now are being so uh, handled with kid gloves. You know, we have places where you can't be arrested and shoplifting unless you steal more than $900. But at the same time, you have all this talk of uh, 
of, of, of restricting the, of the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens up to a, a complete repeal of our Second Amendment. And so the, the pressure is still on the average, ordinary American citizen that, 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 again, that taxpayer that's footing the bill for everything, but then when things go wrong, they're always the first one taxed and last one considered. So I think a lot of that frustration is there for a lot of Americans, and a lot of it is showing it at, not only at the ballot box, but also in political participation. We're talking to Lieutenant Governor, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson. And your book opens describing your child, tells a lot of your story. Uh, and you describe a, a self-described rat-infested Greensboro home. You are now the first black lieutenant governor in North Carolina history. What do you hope that other people will learn from your journey? You know, I think I, what I really hope is it will it will continue to uh, strengthen uh, not the notion, but the absolute fact that in America it is not about where you start; it's about the possibilities that you have laid out in front of you. Uh, the, the the left would tell you that er, that I have every strike against me and had every strike against me from the moment I was born, or actually from the moment I was conceived. Number nine of ten children born into an extremely poor family in the deep South, uh, uh, you know, black, uh, alcoholic father, uneducated mother. There's no way that I could succeed to this level. Uh, and, and we have. And the reason why we have is because um, this nation provides the opportunities for, for every person to succeed based on their own merit. And we would hope that people would be encouraged by our story and, uh, and, and quite frankly, encouraged by the stories of others. Uh, to share uh, our experience so that they would know this is the greatest country, still the greatest country on earth. Yeah. Well, we are encouraged by your story, and I know many people are, but you're very aware of the debates that are happening around the country. Why do you seem to be less bothered by the sins of our nation's past, which are very real, than other people are? Because I look at where we come from and I see how great it's actually made us. You know, I tell people this all the time. There have been terrible injustices that have happened in this country, terrible institutions that were in this country. Uh, we had the institution of slavery. Uh, then we had the institution of Jim Crow. Uh, but those things never determine the direction of the country and its people permanently. Uh, when I hear the term institutional racism, uh, and say they say this country is institutionally racist. If this country was institutionally racist, we would still have slavery or we would still have uh, Jim Crow or some form of that. We don't. This country has always, always strived to ensure that everyone has freedom. And here's the thing. Here's the most glorious thing about it. We do it together. People of all different colors, all different religions, uh, men, women, everybody. People of goodwill have come together to stop the injustices that have happened in this country, whether they be slavery, whether they be the issue of women's rights, no matter what it is. People of good good character, people who believe in the idea of America have come together to end those things. And we continue to strive to do the same today. You know, there are lots of people in America who would say, you know, uh, Mark Robinson, good for you. We're happy for you. But here's the data. We know that race is still relevant in America. Things are different for people based on their skin color. And that just proves that America is still a racist country fundamentally. You don't share that perspective. What is it about you and your experience uh, that has led you to look at the same set of facts but reach a very different conclusion? Because everybody in their own community, so to speak, faces difficulties. But here it is. In America, it is not about what is it's not about what is on you, i.e. your skin color. It is about what is in you. Uh, when when black Americans face the most virulent racism in this country, uh, at that period during, during Jim Crow, when that uh, when when that was this overt racist system of Jim Crow was in place. Black Americans were succeeding in their own communities. They had their own schools. They had their own banks. Uh, they, they were overwhelmingly 80, 90 percent of mothers and fathers in the home. And they were succeeding at a, at, at a great level because they knew what was important. They depended on each other and they did not rely on anyone else, i.e. the federal government to swoop in and help them do anything. We have totally reversed that now. We have this ideology in this country that the federal government is everything up to, including mama and daddy. And uh, we have just 
pushed excellence aside. So again, I, I, I refuse to go along with this ideology that this is a racist nation because, again, it is not about what is on you, i.e. your skin color. It's about what is in you. Well, and I think there's a lot of evidence to support that as well. And your story is so compelling. I also want to spend a few moments just getting your thoughts on the political landscape uh, that we are dealing with today. Some of the issue that have, that issues, excuse me, that are being debated. First, what are your thoughts on President Biden's proposal to, uh, he would say, forgive student loans. Others would say bail out student loans. I, I'm totally against the idea of, 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 of having these, not having these loans paid back. Now, here's what I am in favor of. I am in favor of restructuring these loans to make it possible for the people that owe them to, to pay payments that are not going to uh, overburden them. I'm totally in favor of that. But uh, when it comes right down to it, the bottom line is this. You took out a loan, pay it back. Uh, that's just how I feel about it. Uh, also, along with that, we need to take a hard look at uh, uh, whether or not we should be giving uh, these young people uh, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in loans uh, based on uh, no evidence that this will produce anything. Right. And so I think the entire system uh, needs to come under the microscope yeah. to see what we need to do, uh, not so that we've not to necessarily forgive the loans, yeah. but to uh, restructure it in a way that we'll, we find young people yeah. not being in this position to begin with. I think that's a very fair point. It is indisputable to me that the higher education system is not functioning as it's currently operating. And uh, reforms are certainly called for. And I hope this uh, does start those conversations. Another question I have for you, another issue. Arizona just passed legislation that gives each child an education savings account with more than $7,000 per child that the parents can use at the school of their choice. Could be public, private, charter, even religious schools. Teachers unions hate it. What do you think? Teachers unions hate it because teachers union are part of the cabal that's ruining education. Uh, we have to ensure that parents are in control of their education, of uh, their children's educational destiny. That has got to be the first tenet of any education system anywhere in this country. Parents have to be in control. And I think that Arizona's made a wise choice, and I think other states, including North Carolina, should follow suit. Uh, we need to make sure that parents are in charge of their children's education, not the teachers union or not any other or entity. Now, if Mark Robinson could make unilaterally one policy change, and we know he can't because he, you're part of a system. But if you could, what would you like to see changed in America or even in the state of North Carolina? Gosh, that's a <laughs> that's a tough question. But if I, I think if. If I had to do, if it was anything I could do right now in this country, uh, I think the number one thing that I would do would probably be to secure our southern border. Uh, our southern border being wide open presents a, a dangerous on every front. Uh, the fact that our border is wide open right now is making every state, every community in this nation a border state. We've got to secure that border uh, for the for the security of our communities, our homes, our families, and and, and for our nation as a whole. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I, there's a myriad of things that I would love to do, but we just simply don't have time to discuss them all here. <laughs> that is correct. We don't have a, we do not have time to discuss them all, but we're getting through some of them. Now, I would like your, your take on uh, the speech that President Biden is going to give tonight. And of course, uh, we haven't heard the speech yet, but we have had some indications of what this speech is going to be. The title, the White House says it's about Quote, the continued battle for the soul of the nation. And I think he's given us some clues about where this is going. Here's some excerpts from President Biden's speech last Thursday. Let's play clip four. Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. And the whole notion of the burn it all down politics of MAGA Republicans continues to be a drumbeat. Well, the alternative to the Democrats are the MAGA Republicans. If the MAGA Republicans win control of the Congress, it won't matter where you live. Women won't have the right to choose anywhere, anywhere. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. We must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving America. 
than the MAGA Republicans are destroying America. Now, Mark Robinson, before you respond to that, uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre uh, struck a very similar chord. I want to show the themes here. Let's play clip 10. The president has been has been really clear about the leadership, right, the MAGA Republicans uh, in leadership. Uh, they're the ones who have the platform. Uh, they're the ones who, uh, again, the extremist part of the Republican Party. Uh, they're the ones who, uh, you know, folks listen to uh, in their own party. And by inciting violence, by trying to take away, they're the ones who are the legislators who try to take away our rights, uh, trying to take away our freedoms. Uh, Mr. Robinson, it seems that they are bending over backwards to say MAGA Republicans as many times as they can. It seems that the strategy is to get them to vote for Democrats by making Americans scared of Republicans. What say you? I say this. Let's go back and let's look at what MAGA Republicans, a.k.a. the policies of Donald Trump, uh, did in this country. Uh, we had uh, the lowest gas prices we had had in a num number of years. Our border was secure. Uh, we were energy independent. Our enemies were, were basically hiding in, in, uh, in their basements. Uh, they were quiet. Uh, we bought, have had peace in Afghanistan. We're ready for a peaceful, uh, 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 proud withdrawal from Af Afghanistan. But then let's take a look at what uh, President Joe Biden has given us. He shut down uh, the production of our pipeline and gas prices spiraled out of control. He emboldened our enemies overseas by allowing uh, the Russians to have their pipeline, which allowed them to browbeat their European neighbors with their, pow their, powerful, uh, their powerful energy supplies. And now they're over in Ukraine. The, the Chinese are now hovering over Taiwan, and there possibly could be war in the Far East over that. Uh, our enemies are more emboldened now. Our border's wide open. And they talk about violence. Not one time did you see MAGA uh, Republicans burning down anything. They keep referring to January 6th, the one incident on January 6th. But what I want to know is, when is someone going to go after those left-wing Democrats, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, who staged over 700 riots across this country in 2020, took over major cities, burned police cars, wounded and killed police officers and civilians? Uh, the violence that they talk about is clearly in their camp. We have it all on video. And for them to actually have the nerve to say that it is MAGA Republicans that are violent is an absolute repudiation of the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And we have to continue to fight back against that narrative because we all know that the problems that exist in this nation now are because of their bad policies. And the violence that we've seen over this nation over the last uh, four to five years has come from their side, not our side. Mark Robinson, last question in about 15, 20 seconds. What's the future for you? I, I cannot tell you that. Uh, I always tell people that I'm like, this is like riding a roller coaster and God is in control. So we'll see what he has for me over the next hill. And we look forward to it. He is Mark Robinson. The book is We Are the Majority, available wherever books are sold on September 13th. Pre-order yours today. Mr. Lieutenant Governor, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, sir. Do go get the book. We are the majority. He is an inspiring person. It is an inspiring story. And his story, uh, he's a great example also, a great example to children and adults alike who are trying to navigate uh, the world that we live in. He's a great example of someone who fears God and nothing else. And we will leave you with that today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.